You could even get a mortgage. One click and you can be approved. I'm not sure by who or what country they're in. You deserve more from the mortgage industry. At AnyMac Home Mortgage, we believe in the need for live human interaction during a very complex process. The kind of service and guidance which an app simply can't provide. Our customers are more than credit scores and income documents. They're individuals and families who live in and strengthen our communities. Their story is our story, and that story begins in a home. Chris Sawyer is an expert on providing superior customer service and in meeting the mortgage needs of current and future home buyers. With over 18 years of experience in the industry, Chris is able to help customers migrate through the home buying and home financing process by using his wealth of knowledge as a well-qualified mortgage professional. And best of all, Chris is located in Cromwell, Connecticut, where he has helped hundreds of clients in Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island make their dreams of home ownership a reality. Visit chrissawyer.annie-mac.com, email him at csawyer at annie-mac.com, or give him a call, 860-878-8730. Chris Sawyer, NMLS number 39345, corporate NMLS number 338923, Mac Home Mortgage and Equal Housing Lender, American Neighborhood Mortgage Acceptance Company, LLC, DBA, Mac Home Mortgage, Lo-Fi Direct, Connecticut First Mortgage Correspondent, License Lender, Broker Number, ML 338923, Massachusetts Mortgage Lender, and Mortgage Broker License Number, MC 338923, Rhode Island License Lender, License Number 20112810L. Call for additional details. Jones had first down, wide open, it's Barkley, and Saquon Barkley will take it into the end zone. Your best ability is availability. Saquon Barkley, he's great when he's on the field, but the problem is, since 2018, he hasn't been healthy for this team. Look at this, they lob it to him, he taps it in off the glass. How about that? Porter I think right now is the best coach of college basketball, hands down. Finch, two for three, he's done his part. Pitch is drilled to deep right field toward the pole, and it is gone. They don't mind not being what they were in the 90s as the best organization in baseball, because the Yankees are not they're even close to the best organization in baseball. They're trying to be the Rays, and the Rays do this for a reason. Like, you're the Yankees. Welcome to Sports Talk with RJ. I'm Steve Risser along here with Justin D'Onofrio. And we got a pivotal game three in the NBA Finals as the Celtics and Warriors are tied at a game apiece. Game one, it was the Celtics role players that stepped up. Uh, Marcus Smart, uh, uh, Al Horford were huge. Derek White were all big in game one. And then game two was all about Steph Curry. And it was all about Jordan Poole. And the Warriors were able to even the series. The big question is now is with the series tied at one, which team has the edge? And I'm going to go with the Warriors because I trust Steph Curry more than I trust anyone, anyone in this series. That's why right now I still feel like the Warriors have the edge. I have the Warriors in in six, and I still think the Warriors are uh, are going to win it in six because I trust Steph Curry more than anybody in this series. Jason Tatum, he's great, but he has those duds like he did in game one. Or, I mean, I wouldn't say a dud, but not a game where he scores a lot. He only scored 12 points in game one. I trust that Steph Curry is going to score 25 points in every single game in the series, and that's why I think the Warriors have the edge right now. Justin, with the series tied at one, who do you think has the edge? Yeah, I'm with you. I think the Warriors do as well. Um, yeah, with Steph Curry, I know guys around him haven't been great. I know Thompson's been really struggling. But, yeah, you know, I, tr- I trust Curry and Steve Kerr in that situation. Who They've won multiple championships. They know how to win there. The Celtics are still kind of young. Uh you know, young core, they they really haven't, you know, won yet. Again, it was big for them to go on the road and get the split. But, yeah, I think the Warriors right now, again, game one, you know, that fourth quarter killed them. They were 
playing pretty well back and forth, but that fourth quarter in game one, um, you know, turned the, you know, it was like the, really the one really bad quarter that we've really seen the Warriors play in the series so far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The Warriors were really, really bad in game one of that series. But, I mean, I, 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 I mean, yeah, in game one, the Warriors were really bad. But I think, you know, I still think the Warriors, yeah, they, I think they definitely have the edge in this series right now. I mean, the Celtics, they're both really even, but I would say the Warriors have the edge right now in the series. But now we're going to talk about what the Warriors need to do to go up two games to one. And I think they need Klay Thompson to step up. Klay Thompson has just not been that good in this series right now. Klay Thompson just ha- he hasn't been that good, and he just and he hasn't played that well. So uh, I, 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 that he needs to step up because it's going to be hard for the Warriors to win the series if Klay Thompson doesn't step up because that's the one of the guys they've counted on. He has stepped, he's been good all postseason. He is the one guy they have counted on to step up. And right now, if he doesn't step up, the Warriors could definitely be in trouble in this series. So that's definitely that's definitely my biggest key uh, for the Warriors to step up because they because uh, the Warriors can't rely on you know Smart and Horford and Williams to all have terrible games in Game Two to win this series to go up two one tonight. They need Clay Thompson to step up. Yeah, they absolutely do. You know, he was four for nineteen on Sunday. That just can't cut it. And I know he's missed a lot of time the last couple of years. But yeah, he's still he's got to shoot the ball a little bit better than that than what he did. Um, he's seen some really good outputs from um, from him so far in this postseason, and yeah, you know, again, he doesn't need to put up 30, 35, but if you get like twenty to you know thirty out of him, you know that that's pretty good. It's gonna be tough to beat that Warriors squad with, with if he can get that amount of um points in a game. So yeah, Clay Thomas has got to be a much better shooting wise. Again, defensively, he's not the same guy, but offensively, he he, he can. Um, hopefully give him a Joel and knock down some shots to kind of take some pressure off of Curry. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The Warriors, like in game two, Jordan Poole took some pressure off Steph Curry. The Warriors are going to have to need guys to take pressure off Curry. Draymond Green's going to have to score more. Andrew Wiggins has played well too. So, but, uh, yeah, Green and, and, uh, and, uh, Thompson, they got to score more. Curry just can't do it all to beat the Celtics team. He's going to need guys to step up around him. Yeah, absolutely. They absolutely do. You know, Curry's one of the best players in the league right now. Um, then he's been for a while. But yeah, you know, basketball, you know, you can win with one guy, but the Celtics are good good enough where they have enough around where that's not that's you know, they're they're gonna it's gonna be tough for that to happen night in and night out. So yeah, absolutely, you know, they, they need other guys to kind of step up around stuff. Curry's a great player. Um but again, it's gonna be tough every it's tough it's gonna be tough to you know Beat the Celtics team with you know for Curry just by himself. He he needs definitely help around him. Oh, without without question, without question, without question. Now we move over to the Celtics. What do they have to do to go up two one at home? And they need their role players to step up. They I mean they were great in game one, but they were not good at all. Smart Horford and and uh, and White. I mean, smart, especially Smart Horford and Williams. They were not good in game two. They need those role players to step up if the Celtics are going to go up 2-1 because you can't as you can't rely on Clay Thompson continuing to play this bad. So for the Warriors to step up, for the for the Celtics to win game three, they need those role players to step up. They absolutely do. You know, Dal Horford did not have a very good game too. You know, Mark Smart didn't either. Marcus Smart's got to be a lot better with the basketball. Um, they've had a lot of turnovers. Smart, I think, at five or six in game two. Um, he's got to, he's got to, you know, handle the ball better. White's got to knock down some shots. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Tatum just can't do it all by himself. And you talked about 
there's been moments in the postseason where we've seen Jason Tatum have an off night. And again, they, they definitely need somebody around him. You know, Jalen Brown, too, has missed a couple big three throws in a couple spots this postseason. You know, like, they, they yeah, the Celtics definitely need some other guys. There's other role players to step up. The Grant Williams, who's had a pretty good postseason, they need those guys that knock down shots against the Warriors team that could put up points and could play very good defense. Um, and it, Caliber, and a team that kind of has the championship DNA, like the Warriors, you you need, like, that whole squad kind of to beat you. And the um, Tatum definitely needs help from the other guys around him. Oh, without, oh, without question, absolutely he needs help because you know if if he if he doesn't get that help, there's no way the Celtics are going to win. So yeah, and that was a big reason why they won Game One is because they were able to, you know, they were able to get help or the role players were able to step up. So that's definitely big. I mean, the Celtics have the home crowd, so that's going to help them. But this Warriors team knows how to win on the road. This team Warriors team knows how to go on the road, especially Steph Curry and win the NBA Finals games. So you know, if those role players, well, that's why those role players need need to step up for the Celtics to win this game. So now yeah. we'll go to – what were you going to say? Oh, yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah, after they, they, they – uh, the Celtics, yeah. And one of the points I had, too, was, um, like, the Celtics, too, coming out of halftime, they've been outscored this, in this series so far, 73 to 38 in the third quarter. You know, that's that's something that really needs yeah, to be Yeah, the third – you made a good point in the third quarter. The third quarter, they, ha- they have to step up in the third quarter. The, yeah, the Celtics, they, they need to step up in the third quarter, because that's been a major, yeah, that's been a major, major issue for the Celtics in the series, the third quarter. So they, yeah, they definitely have to step up in the third quarter if they're going to win game three. So now we'll do our predictions for game three. And right now, uh, I think this is, I think the Celtics are going to win one of these two games in this at home. I I think they definitely split, but I do think in this game, I think the Warriors win, because I think we get a big night out of Clay Thompson. I think Clay Thompson, Finally snapped out of it. Steph Curry plays really well, really well. I think this is a close competitive game. I think Smart and uh, and Horford are better in this game. Not as great as they were in game one, but they're better. I think this is a really, really close competitive game. But in this game, I'm going with the Warriors. Yeah, I'm going to take the Warriors, too. I have them in five. I, I'll still take them. In, I, I had them five. I don't think it's going five now. Um, but, yeah, I think the Warriors on the road. They play well again once again. Yeah, I can't see Clay Thompson shoot as bad as he did the other night. I think Andrew Wiggins, too, you know, continues to just do a little bit of everything. Um, you know, Draymond Green, I think, as well. I think kind of gotten some Celtics heads. Again, I think it's very possible we could do that again tonight. And then, too, I, I think, yeah, and I think something for the Celtics, too, is they got to stop switching everything against um, – they got to stop switching every time off a screen – because Curry has just absolutely not annihilated them off of that, and I, I and so far this and that's not really what the Celtics like to do. So I think the Celtics continue to switch off everything, and I think Steph Curry has another big night. Yeah, the, yes, I definitely could see the Celtics. It's definitely could see Steph Curry having another big night, and the Warriors uh, going up two to one. So if this is a very pivotal game in this series. Very pivotal game tonight in Boston between these two teams, and it should be really exciting to see what happens. But now for the series. I had the Warriors in six. You had the Warriors in five. Do you, are you sticking with that? I am sticking with the Warriors in six. I think they split. The Warriors split here. They win game five at home, and I think they win that game. So they win game six in Boston to win, win another championship. Are you still sticking with the Warriors in six? I am. I actually can go yeah, – I think they, this thing ends in seven now. I don't think the league is I, – I think – you know, I, I know officiating kind of isn't been great the first two games, but I, I I think the way this thing to be officiated is it's, it's you know, 
going to go six, seven games. And I, I think whoever does not have the, you know, who's ever training the series, I think may get a couple calls in a game. Um, I just can't, you know, so I think this thing could go seven games right now. And I think the Warriors will take it like seven games. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I th- obviously I think, I think the series can go either way. I very easily could see it going seven, but the reason why I still got it going six is I just trust Steph Curry. I think Steph Curry right now is in the top, is a top three player in the league. And I just have a feeling that he's on that that it's all setting up for him to get his first Finals MVP. I think I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, it's, yeah, totally. You know, Curry, yeah, for his first MVP uh, or Finals MVP. Yeah, I could definitely see it ending in six games. You know, I don't see the Warriors going in there being intimidated by being intimidated by a Boston crowd being up three two. You know, elimination game for the Celtics. So yeah, I could totally see the Warriors going in there in a game six and taking care of business and finishing off the series. Um, with a guy like Steph Curry, who, you know, in that Warriors team just, you know, won't be phased at all. Absolutely, absolutely. So we'll see what happens. Should be really, really interesting to see what, what happens between these two teams. But we got to get to another move in the NBA, and that is Quinn Snyder, who has resigned as the Utah Jazz head coach. Snyder uh, re- resigned uh, this, this uh, last week. And really, I've kind of felt there was going to be change in Utah after they lost that six-game series to the Mavs. They really haven't gotten out of the second round. In, in this era with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, they've had a lot of trips they, and, and, and it looks like it's time to break. I think the big thing is, is now this Quinn Snyder is gone. The big question is how is it going to impact Mitchell or Gobert? I still think the organization moves on from one of the two, but if they're smart, they move on from, uh, they move on from Rudy Gobert. Yeah. You know, it's a tough situation in Utah, you know, small market team. They've kind of, they, they kind of have the core, but they just don't – they haven't been able to get over the hump. Quinn Snyder's done a really good job with that the, that franchise there, um, you know, the last, like, eight years or so he's been there. But, yeah, you know, I, I think Gobert is probably the one right now that's definitely going to be traded just, you know, again, ever since that kind of COVID incident back in March, it just hasn't felt right. And it kind of – you know, there's been kind of, you know, whispers about, you know, just the core not – being all together with them. And, and so, yeah, definitely. Um, with Mitchell, it, it's inter- it depends, you know, on how or what Utah wants to do. If they want to kind of retool, they still think they could win with Mitchell and he still wants to be there. Then again, yeah, great, keep him. But if he's kind of not there and – because it sounded like he was really close with, you know, Coach Snyder. And, again, maybe now changes his way, you know, thinking and maybe wants a trade. And I think for Utah, you can get a ton of value for that. But for a team – small market team like Utah, again, it's not a lot of time that you can get a star like Donovan Mitchell in your franchise. It's a really tough decision to Utah. Yeah, I think if you're Utah, you got to do whatever Donovan Mitchell wants to do, you do. You just have to do that. I mean, if Donovan, whatever coach Donovan Mitchell wants, you give him that coach because if you lose Donovan Mitchell, yeah, you don't think you're a finals contender now. If you lose Donovan Mitchell, you're not going to be a finals contender for years and years and years to come. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, it's it's tough for a small like a team like Utah to kind of be able to get guys like that. Again, you got to find them in the draft, and you know they don't all come. You know you can't find them every year. So, uh, yeah, you know for for Utah, if they do end up losing Donovan Mitchell as well, it, it's going to be a tough blow, and it's going to be uh, a tough rebuild for Utah fans. But yeah, you know I, if Utah, if Don Mitchell, if Don Mitchell, yeah, you know they got to do what Don Mitchell wants. If um, you know if there's a coach out there that that he really wants again. You got to you got to take him, and you got to try to keep him happy, and hopefully try to build another kind of try to get another core around him. Um, 
build another court with them and to try again and hopefully, you know, this time get over the hump. Oh, oh, oh absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you, you have to. If, if you're Utah, you know, you have to do whatever it takes to keep Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's one of the best players in the game. Um, he's a superstar. And, you know, how, who knows how long it could take Utah to find another star like a Donovan Mitchell. Um, so you, you got to take every opportunity you get. So, yeah, whatever he kind of wants, you, you kind of got to let him kind of, um, you know, kind of decide here. And, you know, and hopefully it all goes well and they can find a way to, you know, because right now Western Conference is kind of, it's not as brutal as it was five years ago. So, you know, there, there is an opportunity. They can find something. There, there's an opportunity for Utah to kind of, you know, get the job done. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the Western Conference, I mean, Phoenix is getting old. Golden State's getting old. I know teams like Minnesota and Dallas are on the rise, and Minnesota really doesn't hasn't won a big playoff series. Dallas doesn't have that second superstar around Luka Doncic. So, yeah, if you're a team like Utah, you got to make your superstar happy because if you're in the weaker conference. you got a shot if you can make your superstar happy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as you mentioned, yeah, Minnesota's, you know, yeah, they, they really haven't, you know, won in a while. You know, they really haven't – they don't have a ton of playoff experience. Dallas, you know, again, Luka Doncic, they'll get, they'll get one and they'll be knocking at the Western Conference door for a while. You know, Memphis got a young star in John Morant. So, it, it's kind of like some of these small market teams. I know Dallas, I don't – you know, it's not really a small market. But, yeah, Minnesota, Memphis, you know, the Lakers are kind of in transition. You know, who knows what's going to happen with the Clicker, Clippers. Um, so, yeah, like there, there's right now kind of, you know, a transition. Some of these small market teams in the Western Conference and Utah could be right there with them. You know, they don't they kind of keep Mitchell around and happy. And, you know, who knows what they do this this offseason with trying to bring guys in and, you know, trades and all that. But, yeah, Utah definitely could take advantage of, of this kind of, new, you know, the um, of the Western Conference, you know, being a lot less difficult to navigate through and, and hopefully make a run. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, so that'll wrap it up for the NBA. But Aaron, Aaron Donald, the best player in the NFL, got paid. But before we talk about that, we got to hear from our friends at JPEG Financial. Do you have a 401k and some savings for future retirement, but don't even know if it's enough to live off of? How much is enough? How often are you thinking about it? The team at JPEG's Financial Group can help set your mind at ease. We specialize in creating strategies in the planning and managing of your financial, educational, and investment needs. We help clients pursue their investment goals with sound financial strategies. You deserve a personal, tailored plan. Lasting, meaningful, and open relationships are the foundation of our practice. You've worked hard for your money and should feel confident in your investment choices as you make decisions for your financial future. Your goals are our goals. We are dedicated to your needs and hopes for your future. Visit our website and give us a call at 860-430-5397. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc. JPEX Financial Group, LLC is not a registered broker-dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services. JPEX Financial Group is located at 78 Eastern Boulevard, Glastonbury, Connecticut. So it is official. Aaron Donald and the Rams restructured restructured their deal this week. Aaron Donald now three years, ninety five million, making about thirty million a year. Definitely the highest paid non quarterback. And uh, the big question is, yeah, obviously he's deserved the contract. But the big question that's going to come up this week is because he did contemplate, comp, contemplate retirement before this. The big question that's going to come up come, that's going to come up is is 
is he is he going to retire after this three year deal? And I, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that he is going to retire after this three after this new year three year deal. I think when this contract is up, this will be it for Aaron Donald. Obviously, one of the best players we've ever seen. Right now, I might say it's between him, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes for the best player in the NFL. He's he's outstanding. So I do think after this contract that uh, Aaron Donald is going to retire. Yeah, I'm with you. It, it sounded like uh, there was a lot of speculation after the Super Bowl win that he was going to retire. Um, but, yeah, after this kind of three-year deals up, absolutely, I think he will kind of hang it up. And, and you know, he's accomplished a lot. You know, he's been one of the best players, you know, in the NFL. He's been probably one of the most dominant defensive players as well. Um, he's had a really good career with the Rams. He's just won the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I think after this three-year contract, I think, you know, um, this is going to be it for him. Oh, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, the another the other big question is: is are the Ram will the Rams be the favorite in the NFC over the next couple of years because of this? And I think it's pretty obvious they will. They will. I mean, right now, I think they still are the best team in the NFC. I know Tampa Bay is close, but I still think they are the best team in the NFC. They obviously got him, got Jalen Ramsey on the back end. Uh, obviously, they still got Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford, and obviously one of the best coaches in the, in the league in Sean McVay. So, I do think that this Rams team is one of the best teams in the uh, – is the best team in the NFC and will be the favorite in the NFC for the next couple of years because of this move, because of how good Aaron Donald is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I'm i right there with you. You know, Tampa, this is probably going to be it for the Bucks with Tom Brady. So, again, how, who knows what they're going to look like next year at quarterback. You know, Rodgers, again, just lost his top weapon. You know, the Packers are going to be right there with them. But the Rams got a lot of guys back um, for a team that just won. Against Seattle, kind of took a step back, you know, with the Niners. She knows what how good Trey Lance is going to be, and you know, how good, a, you know, so uh, how is he going to perform? And Arizona is going to miss DeAndre Hopkins for for the first six weeks. So, yeah, I think for, for the Rams, they're going to be right there once again, um, and I think they should be the favorite. I think you know, right now that team coming back, being the defending Super Bowl champions, Matthew Shepard, quarterback, um, as long as they stay healthy, yeah, the Rams should be the contender for this year and next couple of years. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, just for how good Donald is and uh, if he stays healthy, the the Rams should definitely uh, be the favorite in the NFC because of it. But we got more moves around the uh, NFC West. And then another one is Debo Samuel. He's expected to show up at mandatory minicamp for the 49ers. And uh, I think this is a good sign for them. I think this is a good sign. I know he's contemplated being traded, but I think right now with him being at minicamp, seeing that he's here, I think this is a good sign for the Niners. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. You know, again, for Debo, Niners probably are one of the, one of the best organizations out there in football. They're a team that, you know, again, as you mentioned with Trey Lance, again, how, how good he's going to look, you know, early on. And, you know, I don't know if he'll lead in a Super Bowl year one, but, you know, in the are starting. But, yeah, for Debo, again, and, you know, um, I think, you know, to kind of keep him uh, for the Niners, yeah, I think it's a really good sign. He's one of the best wide receivers. Again, he could do a lot of things from the football, really good pass catcher. Um, you know, and so yeah, so I think for the I think for the Niners is a really good sign that um that you know he is gonna show up to minicamp and hopefully, you know, for the Niners. And again, it helps a young quarterback like Trey Lance to have a guy that it like Debo Samuel there that you know he he's gotten that he can throw to on the offensive side of the ball. Absolutely. And yeah, it is very important for him to have rapport. He's very versatile. He's going to go on to get paid. He's going to want to get paid like receiver. Maybe they're not going to use him the way they've used him, you know, as a running back at times. And that's probably a reason why he wanted out of San Francisco. Maybe they'll use him a little bit differently. 
but he definitely wants his money. But it is obviously a good sign to see him there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and yeah, with the running backs off again, you know, they take mostly because they've been really banged up at running back, and we know that the last couple of years. And hopefully, as long as their running back can stay healthy and stay on the field, again, you're going to probably see him a lot less running football, maybe once in a while they run like a sweep with him or something. But yeah, you know, he is one of the best wide receivers out there. So yeah, you know, I think the Niners will give him his money, um, especially to especially to help out a young quarterback like Trey Lance. It's, it's going to, you know, makes a big difference. I have a wide receiver like a Debo Samuel. So definitely, I think, you know, um, him showing up is a really good sign for, for you know, Samuel one in San Francisco. Absolutely. And they're going to need him to, you know, they're going to need him to be there. If they want to compete with the Rams, they want to compete with the Bucks. they're going to need to have Debo Samuel. They, they're going to need to have that, that, that top guy. I know he's not, maybe, maybe arguably not, might not be a top 10 receiver, but they're going to need to have that top, that top guy. If they're going to compete with the Rams, if you're going to compete with the Bucks, you're going to have to have that guy. And because really their receiving core, their second best receiver is Brandon Ayuk. So when you, with, with Debo Samuel, they're going to have to have him if they were, if they want to compete in the NFC. Yeah, absolutely, you do. You know, he's their number one receiver. Yeah, you know, he's not probably top ten guy. You know, he's pretty close, but yeah, you know, again, yeah, you you need a guy like that in the you know to compete in the NFC. You know, there's a lot of really good teams, a lot of really good quarterbacks that can put up points, and um, you're gonna have to score. And to have a guy like Debo Samuel on your team is gonna help out the quarterback a lot, and you know, hopefully, um, you know, make, make some big plays and make some explosive plays for you to get some points for you because yeah it's gonna it's gonna be tough because yeah their wide receiver core is not great outside of samuel so again losing him with a young quarterback like trey lance is really probably gonna hurt his development probably gonna hurt the offense and you know and kyle shannon's got one of the best offensive minds out there but with that person i'll even with his mind his you know with his um you know offensive kind of brilliance it, it's still gonna be tough to score points with with that offense Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, they definitely need definitely a good sign that Debo was a minicamp. Now, going to another receiver in the NFC West that is not a mandatory minicamp, and that's DK Metcalf. He wants a new contract, and this could turn out to be a problem for Seattle. Now that Russell Wilson's gone, now they have Drew Locke. You know, he wants to get paid. If he's gonna if he's gonna play on a team that has no chance of winning, he at least wants to get his money this year. And if Seattle doesn't, but I don't like the fact that he's not in minicamp. I think this could be a real issue for Seattle going forward. If they eventually have to trade him, then you know they're completely starting over. And, and you know, I mean, they're probably starting over already because Russell Wilson, they traded Russell Wilson. But if they have to get rid of DK Metcalf, then they're really, really starting over. So this is, I don't think this is a good sign for the Seahawks. And this has shown really the way their offseason has gone, getting rid of Russell Wilson, not really improving the roster that much. And now DK Metcalf could potentially want out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's tough for Seattle right now. Yeah, DK again yeah, wants his money. I guess you can't blame him because his numbers are probably going to take a dip with a guy like Drew Locke, you know, a quarterback. And you know, teams are probably going to be double double teaming them um, every chance they get. So yeah, for DK, I, it's a big worry for Seattle. Um, you know, he get probably a nice return for him, depending if if that team kind of sign if they're be able to sign, you know, to extend him, which you would think they would. So. Yeah, for Seattle, it's going to be tough, and yeah, it's it's going to be a um, could be a really long rebuild. You have to trade a guy like that, but for you know, um, they're starting over, and yeah, it's to be tough. Is again, we kind of see what you know. We we've seen enough of a Drew Lock where he just again, he's DK's probably going to have problem putting up some numbers because um, Lock has struggled, and again, he's going to be double teamed every single time. 
Oh, without question. Absolutely. And you don't want Tyler Lock to be double-teamed because he really can't do much being double-teamed. They need DK Metcalf on the other side, especially with Drew Lock as your quarterback. I mean, he's he's a very inconsistent quarterback, and the only way you can compete, this team, the skill, the strength of the Seahawks team, I don't think the Seahawks team is going to be good this year, but the strength of the skill position guys, Chris Carson, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, the strength of the Seahawks team is their skill guys. If they don't have those guys, they're going to be in huge trouble. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, yeah, cause, yeah, and they're in a really good division. You know, it's going to be tough. Niners, the, the Cardinals, the Rams, um, the pickup games there. So, yeah, you know, Absolutely, they they gotta you know those skill guys they gotta try to keep happy and DK is a big part of that. You know, again maybe with all the skill guys they have, you know, helps Drew Lock improve. Maybe, probably not, but you know, again you know so yeah, if you kind of keep a guy like DK Metcalf, you know, again you know with all those guys they could put up some points. Defense is not great, obviously, but you know they could somehow score some points. With all the skill guys, you know, maybe they kind of hang around, maybe, but probably not. So, yeah, it's it's gonna be tougher. Um, you know, Seattle keep them happy because yeah, that's that strength that all they got to skill position, it is <clears throat> it's huge for them. But um, if you take DK Metcalf out of that, it's it's gonna be tough for them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see we'll see if this story develops uh, throughout the off season. And and we'll we'll see what it goes from there. So yeah, we talked we talked about a lot of the NFC West today. The Rams obviously look like they're getting stronger. The 49ers, it looks like those are definitely gonna be the two teams, and it looks like the Seahawks are rebuilding in this division. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the NFC West been one of the most more competitive divisions the last couple of years. Um now Seattle's probably gonna try to, you know, um hit the reset button here after trading Wilson. Um but yeah, you know. The other three teams would be very competitive. Three teams that do have a chance to get the Super Bowl. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be a very competitive division, and um, and a lot kind of moving here is in the NFL. So you know, as uh, mini camps kind of get rolling. Absolutely, 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 without question, without question. So the Yankees and Red Sox are both playing great, but before we talk about that, we got it. We got a promo. We got an ad from Clovercrest Media. There's no bigger investment than home ownership. And to make sure the house is up to your standards, you need a professional to look it over. Brian Flanagan from Shamrock Home Inspections is a licensed home inspector and a member of the Connecticut Association of Home Inspectors. Brian was a contractor for over 15 years, so he knows how homes should be constructed and how mechanicals should work. What makes me a good home inspector was the 20 years that I was a home improvement person all the different repairs that I have done and what other people have done wrong that I had to go out and fix. So I have a pretty quick eye on seeing what's right and what's wrong. Before you move, call Shamrock Home Inspections. Before you make the biggest investment of your life, call Brian Flanagan from Shamrock Home Inspections at 860-268-2566 or visit shamrockhomeinspectionct.com. So the Yankees have been playing outstanding. They have uh they have won uh, seven in a row. I'm telling I'm telling you the pitching has been great. I, I know Town didn't pitch that well last night, but the pitching has been great. How about the offense too? Aaron Judge continues to stay hot, and Anthony Rizzo's timely hitting had that pinch hit single in the eighth inning against the Angels last Thursday, and then last night five four seventh inning hits the three run home home run puts that game away. Uh, then even got Trevino, he's stepping up. Uh, Lemayu had a big night last night. Other guys, seeing other guys in the lineup. Step up around, you know, Stanton. You got Stanton back. You're seeing other guys step up in the lineup around Stanton, Judge, and uh, 
Stanton Judge and Rizzo. So I, it's it's really good for the Yankees. Starting pitching off the charts. Garrett Cole, Severino was Severino and Cole were great against the Tigers. Uh, Montgomery's continued to pitch well. Uh, Cortez has continued to pitch well. So the starting pitching has been outstanding. And the bullpen, I'm starting to kind of get on board with Clay Holmes being the starter. I don't think I'll totally be on board with Clay Holmes being the starter. Really, their biggest issue right now is the Yankees' usage of uh, Aroldis Chapman. That, that's that, that's my biggest issue with the Yankees right now. But you really can't complain when a team wins seven in a row. No, you can't. Yeah, this Yankee team first team to 40 wins so far this year. Um, it, they've been rolling. You know, they've been rolling all year. Um, you know, nice to get Sam back in the lineup this weekend. And, you know, he hit that bomb last night with Judge, you know, early in that first inning to take that lead. Yeah, you know, the starting pitching has been unbelievable. Yeah, Tywin wasn't great. The defense didn't help them either. They had two years behind them. But, you know, again, you can't expect to be great every night. Like, yeah, at some point, the starting pitching can't just continue to give up one or two runs, um, especially nowadays. But, yeah, you know, the starting pitch has been great. And, yeah, you know, the timely hitting, you know, Judge is just on an absolute tear right now. It's it's a really fun team to watch right now. And, um, again, it's... You know, their two biggest, you know, the, the problem right now is, you know, Hicks and Gallo, which is starting to hit a little bit. But, again, it's just uh, the swing yeah, guy just – Gallo did hit a home run on uh, on, on Sunday. He had a – RBI, two RBIs, two last night. So, he had another kind of base um, couple, you know, uh, base hit last night as well. So, I don't know, maybe trying to turn a corner a little bit. But, it, it just, you know, um, again, you know, you can kind of – Fix one of those two positions, you know, you should be fine. But um, yeah, this team's just been fun to watch. You know, the starting pitch has been great. The you know bullpen starting to get it going. Um, and obviously, yeah. So yeah, Yankee team first first team majorly to get to forty wins, and it's been fun to watch. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, it's absolutely been fun to watch. Yeah, and 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 you know, Yankee fans will complain about stuff, but there really isn't really anything to complain about. First team to 40, 40 and fifteen, better than a lot better than a lot of people expected. So you definitely have to be you have to be happy as a Yankee fan. Yeah, yeah. Gallo and Hicks are struggling, but if that's your problem, two hitters in the lineup are struggling. Those are those are good problems to have. Yeah, no, absolutely, they are. You know, um, it hurts a little bit. You know, again, who knows what they do at the trade deadline there? And uh, you know, you don't. You know, it's it's you kind of need a couple guys bottom of the order, especially in the playoffs, to kind of not be automatic outs but you know that's a problem they'll get to when when they we get there to the play to october baseball um but yeah to be 40 15 again what they probably had 15 losses last year take like what the first second week of may you know like it, you know so it's been a credible run that they've been on this year and yeah it's just again i don't know i don't know what it is but it just seems like there's it, it's team that you know um uh, just seems really a joy to play with each other. And again, it just, again, it's not like last year. They're winning in multiple ways, too. And that's something they really could not do last year. No, I mean, yeah, two to one, 10 to four, 10 to four. Yeah, a bunch of different ways are with the third. They're winning. And that's what, that's what good teams do. And are we starting to get to the point where I call the Yankees a great team? It's, it's getting close just because of the way they're playing. I know a lot of people are kind of, Yankees are kind of avoiding that because they've seen what's happened over the last, you know, over the last decade where they've came close in the playoffs and they haven't succeeded, but you know, it's getting close to where in the next couple of weeks, they continue this pace and they play well against, you know, if they play well against Tampa, they, they go into Toronto and play well. And then they play well against the Astros. Uh, when they, when they, when they, when they, when they host the Astros, you got to call this, you got to call this team a great team. 
Yeah, absolutely, you do. You know, this team just again to be forty and fifteen in in the you know early June here, um, and you know, and again we thought a really good division. They've kind of built themselves a nice lead here. So yeah, absolutely. You know, this team, you know, again, I you know, I'm somebody I didn't really have a ton of expectations from the team this year, but yet they've been again forty and fifteen. The way the rotation's been, this is absolutely a really good team and a and a great team right now. Um. And, and again, their problems have been October baseball. And again, I, I really think with how bad kind of the league, and I think part of it is just how bad the league is this year. Again, you got half your, you know, you got 12 teams over 500 right now, you know, 12 or 13 teams over 500. So, you know, if they just keep beating up on the bad teams, they're, you know, again, it's, they're not really going to be tested October baseball. I feel like, you know, um, the only thing kind of hold back the Rays, Blue Jays and the Red Sox right now who have also been on a tear. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's just, you know, can the pitching staff stay away from the injuries and all that? And, you know, as we get to the dog days of, of, you know, July and August, you know, can they all stay healthy? And, you know, that's, that's going to be the big thing. Yeah. I mean, can the pitching staff stay healthy and can guys like Tyone and Cortez keep this up? Because Cortez, he pitched well last year, but he didn't pitch the full season. Tyone was definitely not this good last year. I think the big question of the rotation is can Tyone and can Cortez continue continue doing what they're doing? And then in the lineup, can Trevino continue to hit? Because he should be the number one catcher right now. He should be he should be the, the number one catcher the way he's oh, he should he should be the catcher every day the way he's hit. Can can uh can Connor Falefa continue to hit? Be decent, not be terrible. Be decent. Hit for a decent average. Uh, and and in the bullpen, can Clay Holmes continue to do what he's doing? Those are the questions that are that those are the questions that we're, we're going to have. But but as of right now, we got it. We got it. We can't be complaining. We got to be appreciating the way the Yankees are playing. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, we really haven't seen this a lot of couple years. You know, like last year, a lot of that, a lot of the years, kind of a chore to watch them. It was just a boring team to play. It, yeah, now we finally got a fun team to watch with the Yankee team. And, yeah, they've been killing it, you know. And, yeah, there had not been a lot of holes on this team so far. You know, we, we've talked about it. But, yeah, you know, there's no major, major, major kind of glare like there has been the last couple of years, you know. Again, you know, like Sevy, how many more spots, um, you know, how many more, you know, can – um. You know, you're probably not going to get 32 starts out of Seve, but can you get like 25, 30? You know, yeah, Cortez, like how well can he, how long, you know, how well can he continue to pitch like this? You know, Tyone's been a guy that, you know, probably since what? It was like last July, August, he really started to turn the corner, pitch well, you know, but he's been a guy that's kind of been on the IL at times. So, yeah, I think for the Yankees, you know, they can kind of continue to get starts and outings like they, like they have, you know, again, they're going to be fine. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, should be really fun to see what the Yankees could do are going to do from here. Got the best record in baseball, forty and fifteen. But another team has gotten hot, and that's been the Boston Red Sox. And last week, I remember we were looking at that schedule, and we said they had to go, t- they had to go ten and four in their next fourteen games to be considered a playoff team. They're already six and zero, oh, and I think they don't have to now go ten and four, seeing what's happened to the Angels, and we'll get to them. But, but yeah, but this team, the offense has been hot. I mean, Devers, Bogart, Story, JD. Uh, even Verdugo's picking up a little bit. They're starting to hit. I mean, the pitching, I think it's been the big story for this team. I think Michael Waka on uh, Monday. on Monday night, he was he on Monday, he was phenomenal. I mean, Pavetta's starting to pitch well. Ivaldi's continuing to pitch well. This starting pitching has been really good. This, the, the offense and the starting pitching have been really good in this winning streak, and that has forced them not to bring their close to, to have to close a, to, not to bring their closer in. And for that team, the, the, the less they got to bring their closer in, 
the better for that team. But their starting pitching has been really good, and their offense has been really good. They're starting to they're starting to play like they did in the first half of last year, and that's why right now they got they got the number they got the last wild card spot in the American League. Yeah, absolutely. They're they um they figured it out here. You know, going since going out west and. The last couple of years, you know, it seems like the Red Sox have played a lot better on the road than they have at home, too, which I don't know, you know, why that would be. But, yeah, you know, like they had a chance, you know, like, again, it was a pretty, you know, you beat up on a team like the A's who, you know, are just in total tank mode right now and the Angels right now who are just in an absolute free fall. And, yeah, you know, it's been, you know, they, they, they you know, they've been entertaining to watch. They've been, you know, Bogarts, Martinez is still just, you know, his average is way up there. Devers. Again, you know, that those three is just again, you know, they they've been great all year. Um, you know, Verdugo's had some tough luck at times this year. You know, Kike is really the big spot at the top of the order who hasn't really been great. Um, you know, Bobby Dahlbeck's starting to get it going. Franchi Cordero looks a you know, a totally different player than he did last year. Say so right now, you know, and right now starting pitching wise, you know, Whitlock's kind of struggled. His ERA as a started this year is a four point nine three. And when he's really when he's a reliever, it's like under one. Um, so like Whitlock, I, but I think he's somebody that probably moves to the pen when Sale and James Paxton get back. So, you know, again, he's going to be a nice kind of piece he uses for your bullpen. Probably the same thing with Tanner Howe, you know. So, yeah, right now this Red Sox team, they're they're playing really well. Um, you know, since going out west, and you know, they're they're taking care of business. And again, it's a lineup that has been, you know. Like a couple weeks ago, like they did in Chicago, where it's just tough to pitch any of these guys because they're all just on fire once again. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, it's tough to pitch to them, and their pitching has been good. Michael Waka has been a—you got to give Hyam Boom credit for the Waka thing. Waka's been a hidden gem for this team. He's been—I was high—I was really—you know how I'm high because I was watching on on Monday night, and he went then he went that whole way. So, and that was a great move by Cora. Let Walker go the whole way. That's great managing. That's great managing right there. Because a lot of managers would go their closer and maybe lose the game two to one. That's great managing right there. Uh, keeping Walker in right. Keeping Walker in that spot. Yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely it was. Um, yeah, because yeah, as we've seen over the years, um, you know, or I mean, I mean, for this Red Sox team, as you mentioned a few minutes ago about their closer, it's like yeah, you know, he could pull them there, and whoever they bring in to close that game. Again, very well, yeah, could lose that game 2-1. So, yeah, absolutely, you know. The Angels team that was really, you know, reeling, they still are. Yeah, you know, might as well a team that's really struggling with the bats. Might as well just keep them in there. Because, boy, I think he only gave up two, three hits all game. So, you know, might as well just keep them in there, let them go. Because, yeah, that bullpen, um, might, they had a better shot of Waka than probably bringing somebody else. So, yeah, absolutely, it was a great move by Cora. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, and, 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 we, and you said it, too. The, the lineup's been good. They've been tough to pitch to. And the pitching, the starting pitching, has really stepped up. Evaldi, who I thought was a one-year wonder, he's, he's pitched well. Pavetta has stepped up. Uh, even uh, Whitlock, he didn't pitch that well last night, but he's even stepped up since he's been a starter. And Rich Hill's been up and he's, he's been okay. He pitched well the other day, but he's been, he's been okay. So the starting pitching has stepped up. That's been my biggest surprise with this team, has been the starting pitching. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Pavetta, yeah, after the rough couple outings there, he's really figured it out. Avaldi, you know, the home run ball has bit him at times. But, yeah, you know, again, when he's on, you know, I think that Astros started sounded like he was just tipping his pitches. And, you know, he really hasn't had that big a problem since. So, you know, he's figured it out. Yeah, Rich Hill, you know, had a rough first inning there on on uh, Sunday. But after that, he was, you know, um, he's really had a tough time beating him, even though that's not a major league lineup right now. 
but yeah, the, the starting pitch has been unbelievable. And yeah, you know, and again, that was kind of thought a weakness, you know, that in the bullpen, but they, they've been really good. And yeah, you know, it's it really helped that team. And especially with that lineup, you know, it, you know, even with that lineup, they, if their starting pitcher gives up a couple of, of runs with that lineup, you're, they, they could slug their way to nine, 10 runs a night. So, you know, if they can kind of keep it in range, you know, and their, their, um, their rotation, even the bullpen, they're, they're going to be fine most nights. Oh yeah. And they're, and they're probably going to get Chris Sale back too. So things are going to probably get even better for this team. I know they're in a tough division, but right now they're in a great position to make the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Especially how bad, you know, the AL is right now, you know, I know, you know, the, the Indians are right there under, under, one game under 500, you know, the same thing with the White Sox. Again, you, you expect the White Sox to get it going, but, you know, when? Um, you know, the Angels right now looked in great shape, but now they're three back. Like, the Rangers are hanging around, but again, like, you know, I think, you know, the Rangers, I feel like, aren't that great of a team yet. And so, yeah, like, the, the Red Sox right now are in a great spot. They're really putting themselves in a good position, especially with the, you know, new addition, um, you know, with the new Walker, with the third Walker team added. So, yeah, you know, right now the Red Sox are putting themselves in really good shots in, in a good spot right now. And their schedule coming up, too, is not too difficult either. So they can kind of keep gain, trying to great, gain some ground. Um, even though I know the Yankees just haven't been losing, so they can't really – they haven't been able to gain a ton of ground on them. But just in the wild card um, spots, just trying to gain ground on the Rays and Blue Jays right now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Gain ground on the Blue Jays, gain ground, gain ground, gain ground on the Rays. And we said it. The schedule they could make. They could. They, this was a really good opportunity for them, and they've definitely taken advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, you know the A's. You know, it, it just they're not very good right now. The Angels have really struggled. Do, do they go to Seattle this weekend? And the A's, when they get back to you know next week, the A's come to town. So yeah, you know, again they had a chance with the Rays and I mean the Reds and Orioles, their last homestand. They didn't really get it done, but they really uh, bounced back here on the road, and they they've gotten it done in. Um, you know, on, on the road, and, you know, as you mentioned, Chris Sale, he's supposed to throw live DP when they get back to Boston, and then they're going to map out his rehab assignments. So, yeah, you know, again, he's probably about a month away. So probably right around the All-Star break, they'll get Chris Sale back, and I think Paxton started to throw too. So, um, you know, Paxton's probably going to be back, you know, probably a little bit a couple weeks later than Sale, but, you know, they add those two guys right around the trade deadline. Um, could be really nice pieces of that rotation. Oh, absolutely. Without, without a doubt, without, without a doubt, without a doubt. So uh, now we'll go to the team the Red Sox have been beating, and that is the Angels. And yesterday they fired their manager, Joe Madden. And uh, do you think this is the right move, firing Joe Madden? I don't think it is. I st- even though they've lost they've lost 13 in a row, they lost 12 in a row when they fired him, I don't think it's the right move because I think it's too quick. It's too quick to, 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 fire a guy, to fire him right now. I think he's a good manager. I think, I think this is a panic move by the Angels. Now, I didn't love the move the Phillies had with Girardi firing him, but that became that looks like it is the right move because they've won you know, they've won four in a row since Girardi's been fired. So, yeah, I, I think I think uh, I don't think this is the right move right now, even though they've lost a bunch in a row. But for the talent on this team, they should be, be probably should be better than twenty seven and twenty nine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they they should be better than what the record is, especially the way they started. Um, yeah, it's, it's been tough. I think with Madden. I know it's not the GM's guy. He wasn't the one that, you know, the GM hired him. Um, but, yeah, I think he's one of the better managers out there. And, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think it could be a little quick to, you know, make that move. Now, I know they brought in Phil Nevin, the intern. And Phil he's Nevin. a fire they guy. They bring in Phil, Phil Nevin comes in. 
Oh, oh man, yeah. for, former Yankee, right? Former Yankee third base coach. We remember him last year. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we know he's a fiery guy. So I think maybe that was part of it. You know, Madden's not really a fiery guy like that. Maybe, they, you know, so I think, you know, maybe with Phil Nevin trying to, you know, lay a fire under him. Again, they got up to 2 nothing lead, but they just couldn't hold the last night. Um, so maybe that's kind of part of the reason, maybe. But, yeah, I think it was a little quick to, you know, pull the trigger on him. Um, I do think he's been really good as a manager, you know, in his time at, at this level. I think he's done a really good job at all stops. Um, so yeah, I think he's a little quick to pull the trigger, but I think the Angels, I think it, they are panicking. I think, you know, a lot of people thought, you know, three, four weeks ago, this team could be a World Series contender. They could be right there in the American League and trying to, uh, get back to World Series. And now it's like, you know, Again, it's not like they're out of the hunt with, you know, all, you know, there's still tons of time to get back into it. But I think it's the Angels have kind of thought, all right, we got a chance this year. Now it's kind of starting to slip away and they're trying to stop the bleeding. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I think this is a panic move. Girardi looks like it's the right move. I feel like this is a panic move, but I think it's going to hurt this team. Yeah, Girardi, yeah, you know, I think it will down the stretch. Again, I can't really blame – you can't really put the blame Girardi for the bullpen that, that – that they Dombrowski and I know it's was bad before Dombrowski even got the job. And even the defense that you know, they're just they've had a ton of errors. Oh, the way that team was playing, like the, the way the team was playing, and now the way the team's been playing since he's been fired. I don't think it looked like Girardi. And I, I, don't, I hate saying as a Yankee fan because I like Girardi, but I look like it looked like it looked like Girardi was the wrong guy for the job there. Yeah, maybe maybe it could have been. I yeah yeah. I'm I'm with you. Like I'm a big advocate of of Joe Girardi. I think he did a great job with the Yankees. I never felt like he should have lost his job there at the end with the Yankees. I thought it was ridiculous. But um, yeah, you know, again, I think yeah. Right now, the way they're playing, playing. But again, maybe the players just go out. You know, I don't know if it was a disconnect with the players and, and Joe. I'm not sure, but yeah, it seems like something's clicked, or maybe the Phillies just kind of. Have something to prove. Maybe some pressure kind of is off the Phillies now, um, you know. But yeah, right now the Phillies could kind of figure it out because, you know, again I know it's it's tough when you got a bullpen like that when it's just not strong where, um, you know, guys can kind of blow it any night, and they did that a lot. But um, yeah, so far the, the it looks like Dombrowski's made the right move. But yeah, for how long? Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. But we got to wrap up the show talking some hockey. And last night, the Lightning tied the series with the Rangers two games apiece. Obviously, the Rangers uh, uh, they, they rode off their momentum in, in the against the Hurricanes, and they carried that into the conference finals, winning the first two games, shockingly scoring six goals against Vasilevsky. But then in Tampa, they started out really well, up two nothing. And I'm telling you, if the Lightning don't score on that power play in the, in, the, in the middle of the second period, this series might be over. This the Rangers had a shot. To put this to, to end this series in game in game three to win game three and pretty much end the series, but they gave the Lightning life. They gave up that goal. They gave up another goal at the beginning of the of the, of the third period. Then they gave up that goal late in the third period to make it two one. And last night they were dominated. They lost four to one. The big question is who has the edge in the series? And that's such a tough question. It's a really, 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 really hard question. It's so hard, but I gotta go with the Lightning by a little bit. I still gotta go with the Lightning saying they have the edge. Even though the Rangers have played so well at home, they haven't played well on the road. And if they lose tomorrow night, they're going to have a very, very difficult time winning the series. But if they win tomorrow night, I feel like they got the advantage in the series. But right now, i got to give the Lightning the slight edge, but you very easily get the Rangers the edge. Yeah, you know, it's tough because I think, you know, 
the Rangers have been great at home. And, you know, and I think the Lightning have made a lot of great adjustments to game three and game four. But again, now it comes back where the Rangers can make those matchups and kind of dictate all that. So I'm going to take the Rangers barely, but I'm not totally confident on it. Um, you know, because I think the Rangers, you know, I think, you know, and I think part, you know, is, can they get Kreider going? But, um, yeah, you know, the Lightning, I thought, did a really good job in game four to kind of stay out of the box because the Rangers have not been great five and five wise. You know, they, they've been great on the power play and they really have, you know, um, had a lot of success on the power play. And they even, I think for the Rangers, they kind of get back in this thing too and get up through two is, Again, what they did in game one and game two is get Velasquez to move side to side. Again, the one-timers, the three-on-twos, the two-on-ones. You know, you, you got to get him moving in net. You know, because, again, if he's kind of standing there, you're just firing a shot at him. Again, he's going to save it. You got to get some, you know, got to get the deflections. got to try to, you know, get some bodies in front, you know. So, and because then I think it's been tough game three and game four because I think the Lightning have done a really good job of the neutral zone and being less aggressive in that area. It's forced a lot of more Rangers turnovers where they were really sloppy last night. And, you know, for the Lightning game three, they got down 2 nothing, and they turned into desperation mode. And they've been kind of playing like that the last, you know, even last night because um, Rangers really did not have a ton of opportunities. Again, it was sloppy both ways, but the late, you know, in the Rangers of shots got, it just did not feel like they were quality chances at all. What do the Rangers got to go up to go up 3-2 on Thursday night? Well, they got to hope they, you know, Tampa commits a couple more penalties and get back, you know, get on the power play once again. Um, you know, they, they're going to have to get some power play goals. And, and I was saying, too, with Vasilevsky, you got to get some three-on-twos, some two-on-ones. You got to try to get a move in like you did um, side to side because, again, if you just stand in there, you're not getting a lot of bodies. Um, it, it's going to be tough to – it's going to be tough to um, – it's going to be tough to beat him. And, you know, again – you know, Shashirkin's stood on his head. But, again, he stopped 50 or 49 shots out of 52. Again, you're not going to be able to win against a Lightning team like that. It's a team that they know how to win, you know, this time of year. They've won back-to-back. Patrick Maroon's won three straight cups. Um, you know, it's a team that just has a ton of championship experience. You know, if you could try to jump on early, it would be huge. What do the What do the Lightning have to do to win in New York on Thursday night? They gotta stay out of the box like they did in Game Four. Stay out of the box. You know the Rangers have been great um, on special teams. They were one of the worst five v five teams you know in the NHL this year. Um, and you know for for um, you know Tampa Bay, you know continue to um, to convert on those Rangers turnovers again. Last night the Kucherov goal, they go up two nothing. Again, it was a bad it was a bad turnover there in the neutral zone. Um, you know, led to a breakaway. You know, take, you know, keep, continue with those opportunities. You know, stay out of the box, as I mentioned. So, I think with the Lightning, you know, continue um, kind of capitalize on turnovers. Again, like they've been in the neutral zone too. They've been so less aggressive. Um, it, it's really hurt the range as well. So, I think like the big ones is just, you know, I, I think number one for the Lightning is, you know, just stay out of the box. I know I've said that three times. But, again, if they can keep the range off the power play, they're going to be in very, very good shape. So who do you got in the series? Unfortunately, I got to go with the Lightning in six. I'm going to range of seven. They've been you got so, the faith in them now. I, I do. They've just been so great at home, and I know the Lightning are a team that could go in there and go knock them, that, you know, beat them in game five or game seven um, easily. But 
and they've been great at home. And I, I think the matchup wise, I think the Rangers have done a really good job with at home. And I think that will continue, you know, in game five and game seven. You know, I don't think you know, so. I'll take the Rangers seven. I'm not too confident, but you know, I'll, 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 I'll take the Rangers here again. They've been, they bounced back from a lot of spots where we thought they were done in this postseason. So, this is another one. This is the, you know, probably the toughest one now. A team that knows how to win here, but. Again, you know, the Lightning got to lose a series at some point. You know, they, they got it. They've won 10 straight. So, at some point, they got to lose one. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, if you're now the Avalanche are fans of the Cup Finals. And if you're the Avalanche, who would you rather play, the Rangers or Lightning? I would say the Rangers because of the lack of experience. But who, would, who, do, you think the, who do you think the Avalanche would rather play, the Rangers or Lightning in the final? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with the Rangers. And, you know, I think for the, you know, again, they – because going back to the West Conference semifinals with the Blue, you know, when they faced the Blues, you know, a, again, you know, they took them, the Blues took them six games. And again, if Jordan Bennington didn't get hurt early on in that series, I very well think the Blues could have won that series or again, even gone seven games. Yeah, you know, so, and the Oilers, you know, they kind of swept them, but the Oilers, the Oilers are like the, you know, Los Angeles Angels, I feel like. They, they got two of the biggest stars in the, in the sport. They got to the playoffs this year, but they don't have any winning pedigree. And Colorado doesn't really either. So I think, you know, you go up against a Lightning team that's one back-to-back. They've been there so often. And Colorado team that doesn't really have much experience. I think it, that could hurt the Lightning. It's, they, you know, I think the Lightning – because I think the Lightning, you know, I think they're – I'd probably give the – I think the, they're, the Avalanche are a better team than the Lightning, you know, slightly. Goaltending-wise, obviously, you got to go to the Lightning there. But, um, you know, I, I think that the Avalanche are a great team. And, again – they go up a team like the Rangers that they don't have much winning DNA either in a spot like that where, again, I think that's going to benefit them than playing a Blues team that kind of knows how to win. You know, something like we saw, yeah, as I mentioned the Blues, that team, they, they still had a lot of pieces in that 2019 team. They know how to win the Cup. So, I think that's a big thing, you know, in postseason. So, I think the Avs definitely want to play the Rangers. Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely agree there. The Avs rather rather want to play the Rangers. So to wrap up, we'll talk about a firing by the Bruins, and they fired head coach Bruce Cassidy. The, the question is, is this, is this the right move for the Bruins? He did make he did get them to the playoffs six years in a row, got into a Cup final in 2019. Is this the right move for the Bruins, or is this or is this or is this a bad move by the Bruins? Is it the right move? I think it's a horrible move. I, I think you know this is oh, just wow. a scapegoat for Don Sweeney, the GM. Again, you know, since he got the job six years ago, he's a third winning. You know, the Bruins have been the third winning team in the NHL. Like he's had a lot of success. And again, I know it's an older core that they got. You know, but again, I, I think Sweeney's more of the issue than than Bruce Cassidy. I don't think whoever you get, unless if it's like Barry Trotz, cool. which I don't think they're gonna get. I think it's a downgrade from a coach. You know, I think Bruce Cassidy is one of the best guys out there. Again, I think he'll find a job in the next couple weeks. You know, I, I think he'll he'll find a job very easily. So. I think you know, it, you know, Don Sweeney's kind of scapegoat here was was um, Bruce Cassidy. Unfortunately, um, I think he's done a really good job with that team. Again, who knows what happened? They won in nineteen that cup, that, that game seven. Again, probably maybe surprised still has a job, but again, it's unfortunate because I think he's one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League. So, um, I think it was a horrible move by the Bruins, and there's a lot of outrage from uh, Bruins fans about it. Yeah, and the thing is, if he wins the cup in 19, he's got his job. He, I think if you win yeah. a cup, I don't think you're getting fired 
three years after you win the cup. Yeah, Claude Julien got fired, but that was six years after you win the cup. If you win a cup, you're not getting fired three years after you win a cup. That, that, I, that, that's not happening. So I, I, I think that I, I think that the uh, I think that I'm, I'm a, I agree with you. I think this was a bad move by the Bruins, and I think it's going to hurt them going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I don't know what they're going to do. Kind of trying to change things up here. Um, you know, it'll be interesting what they kind of do here. But yeah, I, I do think it's a I do do think it's a bad move. You know, um, Sweeney's been there for a while now, and I think it was you know I think it was time for them to move on from Sweeney than it was from Cassidy. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a bad move. Again, they got to Game Seven against the um, Hurricanes again, which I know they lost you know, the Rangers last round, but again, they took them seven games as the eight seed. Again, I, I think that was, you know, for the Bruins, I know they, they wanted to advance further. I know the Bruins are always supposed to be a, a contender, but again, I, I thought they, 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 you know, they had a kind of rough start there. They, they got better. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, for the, for the, uh, you know, for, for the Bruins, you know, I think it was a bad move here and I think it definitely could hurt them going forward. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So that's going to wrap it up this week on Sports Talk with R&J. For Justin D'Onofrio, I'm Steve Verser. We'll be back here continuing to talk about uh, the NBA Finals. Uh, we'll be starting to talk about the Stanley Cup Final and the Yankees and Red Sox. Have a great weekend, everyone. Jones on first down, wide open, it's Barkley. And Saquon Barkley will take it into the end zone. Your best ability is availability. Saquon Barkley... He's great when he's on the field, but the problem is, since 2018, he hasn't been healthy for this team. Look at this. They lob it to him. He taps it in off the glass. How about that? Porter Moser, I think right now, is the best coach in college basketball. Hands down. Fitz, two for three. He's done his part. Fitz is drilled to deep right field toward the pole, and it is gone. They don't mind not being what they were in the 90s as the best organization in baseball, because the Yankees are not they're even close to the best organization in baseball. They're trying to be the Rays, and the Rays do this for a reason. Like, you're the Yankees. Hello, my name is Joe McGuire. I'm the president of Clovercrest Media Group. And here at CMG, we have a wide variety of podcasts, including sports shows like Keys to the City, The Roll Call, Throwing Jabs, All Four Downs, and Jawing About the G-Men. And great true crime shows like Sticky Meek, Crimes and Consequences, Ivy League Murders, and Bird, The Unsolved Murder of David Eichmann. You can find all these podcasts and so much more by visiting clovercrestmedia.com.